The Anatomy of Story, Chapter 6, How the Story World and the Hero Develop Together. Notice that each of the major story elements so far, premise, designing principle, seven steps, characters, and moral argument, matches and connects with all the other elements to create a deeply textured but organic unit with everything working together. This is the orchestration so essential to great storytelling. In the beginning of the story, all the elements weave together and express the same thing. The hero, probably, lives in a world of slavery that highlights, amplifies, or exacerbates his great weakness. He then goes up against the opponent best able to exploit that weakness. In chapter 8 on plot, you'll see how another element at the beginning, the ghost, expresses the hero's weakness as well. The connection between hero and world extends from the hero's slavery through his character arc. In most stories, because the hero and the world are expressions of each other, the world and the hero develop together. Or if the hero doesn't change, as in much of Chekhov, the world doesn't change either. Let's look at some of the classic ways the hero and the world change, contrast, or don't change over the course of a story. Hero, slavery to greater slavery to freedom. World, slavery to greater slavery to freedom. The hero begins the story in a world of slavery. He struggles to reach his goal and experiences decline as the world closes in. But then, through self-revelation, he fulfills his need and becomes free in a world that is better off because of what he has done. This pattern is found in Star Wars episodes 4 through 6. The Lord of the Rings, The Verdict, The Lion King, The Shawshank Redemption, It's a Wonderful Life, and David Copperfield. Hero. Slavery to greater slavery or death. World. Slavery to greater slavery or death. In these stories, the main character begins enslaved by his own weakness and by a world pressing in. Because of the cancer in the hero's soul, the world that depends on him is rotten as well. In seeking a goal, the hero learns a negative self-revelation that destroys both him and the world that relies on him, or he is crushed by an enslaving world he cannot understand. Examples are Oedipus the King, Death of a Salesman, A Streetcar Named Desire, The Conversation, The Conformist, Sunset Boulevard, Three Sisters, The Cherry Orchard, and Heart of Darkness. Hero Slavery to greater slavery or death. World, slavery to greater slavery to freedom. In this approach, used in some tragedies, you break the connection between hero and world at the end of the story. The hero has a self-revelation, but it comes too late to set him free. He does make a sacrifice before he dies or falls, which sets the world free after he is gone. We see this sequence in Hamlet, The Seven Samurai, and A Tale of Two Cities. Hero. Slavery to temporary freedom to greater slavery or death. World, slavery to temporary freedom to greater slavery or death. This technique has the hero enter a subworld of freedom at some point during the middle of the story. This is the world in which the character should live if he realizes his true self. Failing to do so and moving on or discovering the rightness of this world too late eventually destroys the hero. This pattern occurs in the Wild Bunch, the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and Dances with Wolves. Hero, freedom to slavery or death, world, freedom to slavery or death. These stories begin in a utopian world, which the hero is happy but vulnerable to attack or change. 
a new character changing social forces or a character flaw causes the hero and his world to decline and eventually fall. This sequence is found in King Lear, How Green Was My Valley, and such King Arthur stories as Le Morte de Arthur and Excalibur. Hero, freedom to slavery to freedom. World, freedom to slavery to freedom. The hero again starts off in a world of freedom. An attack comes from outside or within the family. The hero and the world decline, but he overcomes the problem and creates a stronger utopia. This approach is used in Meet Me in St. Louis, Amarcord, and to a lesser degree in Cinema Paradoso. Hero, apparent freedom to greater slavery to freedom. World, apparent freedom to greater slavery to freedom. At the beginning of the story, the world appears to be a utopia, but is actually a place of extreme hierarchy and corruption. The characters fight ruthlessly to win, often with many dying in the process. Eventually, the hero fights through the corruption to create a more just society, or he is simply one of the last ones standing. Examples include L.A. Confidential, Jurassic Park, The Magnificent Ambersons, and Blue Velvet. A brilliant variation on this sequence is found in Goodfellas, which combines the gangster and black comedy forms. The story moves from the apparent freedom of the mob community to greater slavery of the hero and death for all of his friends. Let's look at a new section. Time in the story world. Now that the story world is connected to the hero, we have to look at the different ways the story world itself can develop. Time is the fourth major element, along with natural settings, man-made spaces, and tools that you use to construct your story world. Before we look at the many ways that time is expressed through the world, or more exactly how the story world is expressed through time, we need to get beyond two fallacies that many storytellers have about time. Fallacies of past and present. What we might call the fallacy of the past is common in historical fiction. The idea is that the writer of historical fiction is depicting a different world based on its own set of values and moral codes. Therefore, we should not judge those people by our standards. The fallacy of the past comes from the misguided notion that a writer of historical fiction is first and foremost writing history. As a storyteller, you are always writing fiction. You use the past as a pair of glasses through which the audience can see itself more clearly today. Therefore, withholding judgment about people in the past is absurd. We show them in order to judge ourselves by comparison. You make this comparison in two ways. Negatively, you show values dominant in the past that still hurt people today. We see this with the Puritan values in Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter and Arthur Miller's The Crucible. Positively, you show values from the past that are still good and should be brought back. For example, she wore a yellow ribbon. Glorify such values as duty, honor, and loyalty found on a military outpost in 1870s America. What we might call the fallacy of the future is common in science fiction stories. Many writers think science fiction is about predicting what will happen in the future, what the world will actually be like. We saw this thinking at the end of 1983 when everyone was debating whether and in what ways George Orwell had been right about 1984. The fallacy here is that stories set in the future are about the future. They're not. You set a story in the future to give the audience another pair of glasses to abstract their present in order to understand it better. One key difference between science fiction and historical fiction is that stories set in the future highlight no, not so much values as the forces and choices that face us today and the consequences if we fail to choose wisely. True time in a story is a natural time, is 
True time in a story is natural time. It has to do with the way the world develops and in turn f furthers the development of the story. Some of the top techniques of natural time are seasons, holidays, the single day, and the time endpoint. Seasons. The first technique of natural story time is the cycle of the seasons and the rituals that come with them. In this technique, you place the story or a moment of the story within a particular season. Each season, like each natural setting, conveys certain meanings to the audience about the hero or the world. If you go further and show the change of the seasons, you give the audience a detailed and powerful expression of the growth or decay of the hero or the world. If you cover all four seasons in your story, you tell the audience you're shifting from a linear story, which is about some kind of development, to a circular story, which is about how things ultimately remain the same. You can present this positively or negatively. Positive circular story usually emphasizes man's connection to the land. Human beings are animals and happy to be so. The cycle of life, death, and rebirth is natural and worthy of celebration. And we can learn much by studying the secrets nature reveals at its gentle, steady pace. Thoreau's Walden uses the seasons in this way. A negative circular story usually emphasizes that humans are bound by the forces of nature, just like other animals. This approach is tricky because it can quickly <coughs> grow dull. Indeed, the great weakness of many nature documentaries is that the plot, which almost always matches the seasons, is predictable and hence boring. An animal might give birth in the spring, hunt and be hunted in the summer, mate in the fall, and face starvation in the winter. But sure enough, the animal returns in the spring to give birth again. The classic method of connecting the seasons to the storyline, done beautifully in Meet Me in St. Louis and Amarcord, uses a one-to-one -one connection of season to drama and follows this course. Summer. The characters exist in a troubled, vulnerable state or in a world of freedom susceptible to attack. Fall. The characters begin their decline. Winter. The characters reach their lowest point. Spring. The characters overcome their problem and rise. You may want to use this classic connection or, to avoid cliché, purposely cut against it. For example, a character might decline in the spring and rise again in the winter. By changing the normal sequence, you not only short-circuit the audience's expectations, but also assert that humans, though of the natural world, are not enslaved by its patterns. Holidays and Rituals Holidays and the rituals that mark them give you another technique for expressing meaning, pacing the story and showing its development. A ritual is a philosophy that has been translated into a set of actions that are repeated at specific intervals. So any ritual you use is already a dramatic event, but strong visual elements that you can insert in your drama. A holiday expands the scope of the ritual to a national scale and so allows you to express the political as well as the personal and social meaning of the ritual. If you wish to use a ritual or holiday in your story, you must first examine the philosophy inherent in that ritual and decide in what way you agree or disagree with it in your story you may wish to support or attack all or part of that philosophy. Let's look at some examples. First, a Christmas story, but let's look further at the Great American Fourth of July and other disasters. <clears throat> the humorist Gene Shepard is a master at constructing a story around a particular holiday. He begins by combining a holiday with a storyteller re re reminiscing about his family. 
This sets up a utopia of childhood for the audience, where each viewer nestles in the recognition of living happily within a family. The particular holiday creates a time passageway, rocketing the viewer back to his childhood. Shepard does this by having the voiceover storyteller recount the funny things that happened every year on that holiday. For example, his little brother always wore a snowsuit that was too big for him. His dad always got a gift that would infuriate his mom. He always had to deal with the neighborhood bullies. And what about the time Flick got his tongue stuck on the flagpole? Shepard supports the philosophy of the holiday, not in a straightforward or religious way, but by pretending to make fun of it, by laughing at the silly things people do at this time of year. But those silly things also make him feel good, especially because they happen every year and because the people of his memory will never grow old. This is the power of the perennial story. If you use this technique, it is important that you understand the relationship between the ritual, the holiday, and the season which the holiday occurs. Then orchestrate all of these elements to express change, whether in the hero or in the world. Hannah and her sisters. You can see how to connect a holiday to your story and show character change in Hannah and her sisters. In this film, the holiday is Thanksgiving, a uniquely American celebration going back to colonial times. It embodies the formation of a community to give thanks for a bountiful harvest in the beginnings of a nation. But Woody Allen doesn't use Thanksgiving to structure the story and provide the underlying theme in the normal way. Instead of focusing on the philosophy of the holiday, Allen creates a story of simultaneous action that cross-cuts among three sisters and their husbands or boyfriends. At the beginning of the story, there is no community, either among the characters or in the story structure itself. Allen creates community through the structure by interweaving three different love stories and by using the holiday of Thanksgiving three different times. The structure works like this. The story begins at a Thanksgiving dinner that all the characters attend with the wrong partners. Then the story fractures into crosscuts among the six individuals. In the middle of the story, they all come together at Thanksgiving again. This time, most are with new but still wrong people. The story fractures again into its many simultaneous strands, with the characters struggling and apart. The story ends with each of the characters together at Thanksgiving a third time, but this time part of the real, of a real community, because each is now coupled with the right partner. Story and holiday become one. These characters don't talk about Thanksgiving. They live it. The single day. The single day is another increment of time that has very specific effects when used in a story. The first effect is to create simultaneous story movement while maintaining narrative drive. Instead of showing a single character over long development, the linear approach of most stories, you present a number of characters acting at the same time right now today. But the ticking of the hours keeps the storyline moving forward and gives the story a sense of compression. If you use a 12-hour clock, setting the entire story in one day or one night, you create a funnel effect. The audience senses not only that each of the story strands will be settled at the end of the 12 hours, but also that the urgency will increase as the deadline nears. American Graffiti, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Smiles of a Summer Night use this method. If you use a 24-hour clock, you lessen the urgency and increase the sense of the circular, no matter what may have happened. We return to the beginning with everything the same, start all over again. Some writers use a circular sense to highlight change even more. In this technique, you show that while most things do remain the same, the one or two things that have changed in the last 24 hours are that much more significant. This technique is the underlying foundation of stories as different as Ulysses and Groundhog Day. The television show 24 reverses this technique using the 24-hour clock stretched over an entire television season to heighten suspense and pack the plot.
Notice that this 24-hour circular day has many of the same thematic effects as the Four Seasons. Not surprisingly, both techniques are often connected with comedy, which tends to be circular, emphasizes society as opposed to the individual, ends in some kind of communion, communion or marriage. Techniques of circular time are also associated with a myth form, which is based on circularity of space. In many classic myth stories, the hero starts at home, goes on a journey, and returns home to find what was already within him. Eugene O'Neill uses the single-day technique in Long Day's Journey into Night, but unlike Ulysses, which covers almost 24 hours and evokes the positive qualities of circularity, Long Day's Journey into Night covers only about 18 hours from morning into night. This gives the story a declining line from hope to despair as the family becomes increasingly nasty and the mother moves toward drugged-out madness. A second a second major effect of the single-day technique is to emphasize the everyday quality of the drama that is being played out. Instead of cutting out dead time and showing only the big dra dramatic moments, you show the little events and the boring details that make up the average person's life, as in One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. Implied in this day-in-the-life approach is that drama is just as valid, if not more so, for the little guys for the king. The perfect day. A variation on the single day technique is the perfect day. The perfect day is a time version of the utopian moment and as such is always used to structure a section of the story rather than the story itself. Implied in the technique is that everything is in harmony, which limits how long you can use it, since too much time without conflict will kill your story. The perfect day technique usually connects a communal activity with a 12-hour day or night. Communal activity is a crucial element in any utopian moment. Attaching it to a natural increment of time, like dawn to dusk, intensifies the feeling of everything working well together because the harmony is grounded in a natural rhythm. The writers of Witness understood this very well when they connected the perfect day with the Amish community building a barn and the two leads falling in love. Time end point. A time end point, also known as a ticking clock, is a technique in which you tell the audience up front that the action must be completed by a specific time. It is most common in action stories, speed, and in thrillers, outbreak, caper stories, where the characters pull off some kind of heist, as in Ocean's Eleven, and suicide mission stories, the guns of Navarone, the, the dirty dozen. A time endpoint gives you the benefit of intense narrative drive and great speed, although at the expense of texture and subtlety. It also creates an even faster funnel than the 12-hour day, which is why it is often used when writers want to give an action story epic scope. The time endpoint lets you show literally hundreds of characters acting, acting simultaneously and with great urgency, without stopping the narrative drive. In these kinds of stories, The Hunt for Red October is an example. The time endpoint is usually connected to a single place where all the actors and forces must converge. A less common but very effective use of the time endpoint is in comedy journey stories. Any journey story is inherently fragmented and meandering. A comic journey makes the story even more fragmented because the forward narrative drive stops every time you do some comic business. Jokes and gags almost always take the story sideways. The story waits while a character is dropped. Or diminished in some way. By telling the audience up front that there is a specific time endpoint to the story, you give them a forward line they can hang on through all the meandering. 
instead of getting impatient to know what comes next, they relax and enjoy the comic moments along the way. We see this technique in comic journey stories like the Blues Brothers and Jacques Tati's Traffic. <laughs> 